Chapter Nine of Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Malbach. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maggie Travers. Chapter Nine: The Opening of the States General. On the morning of the fifth of May, seventeen eighty-nine, the solemn opening of the States General of France was to occur at Versailles. This early date was appointed for the convocation of the Estates in order to be able to protract as much as possible the ceremonial proceedings. But, at the same time, this occasion was to be improved in preparing a sensible humiliation for the members of the Third Estate. In the avenue of the Versailles Palace, a large and fine hall was fixed upon as the most appropriate place for receiving the twelve hundred representatives of France, and a numerous company of spectators besides. And, being chosen, was appropriately fitted up, Louis Sixteenth himself, who was very fond of sketching and drawing architectural plans, had busied himself in the most zealous way with the arrangements and decorations of the hall. It had long been a matter of special interest to the king to fit up the room which was to receive the representatives of the nation, in a manner which would be worthy of so significant an occasion. He had himself selected the hangings and the curtains which were to protect the audience from the too glaring light of the day. When the members of the Third Estate arrived, they saw with the greatest astonishment that they were not to enter the hall by the same entrance which was appropriated to the representatives of the nobility and the clergy, who were chosen at the same time with themselves. While for the last two the entrance was appointed through the main door of the hall, the commoners were allowed to enter by a rear door, opening into a dark and narrow corridor, where, crowded together, they were compelled to wait till the doors were opened. Almost two hours elapsed before they were allowed to pass out of this dark place of confinement into the great hall, at a signal from the Marquis de Brise, the master of ceremonies. A splendid scene now greeted their eyes. The Salle de Menus, which had been fitted up for the reception of the nobility, displayed within two rows of iconic pillars, which gave to the hall an unwanted air of dignity and solemnity. The hall was lighted mainly from above, through a skylight which was covered with a screen of white sarcenet. A gentle light diffused itself throughout the room, making one object as discernible as another. In the background, the throne could be seen on a richly ornamented estrade, and beneath a gilded canopy, an easy chair for the queen, tabourets for the princesses, and chairs for the other members of the royal family. Below the estrade stood the bench devoted to the ministers and the secretaries of state, at the right of the throne, seats had been placed for the clergy, and on the left for the nobility, while in front were the six hundred chairs devoted to the third estate. The Marquis de Brise, with two assistant masters of ceremonies, now began to assign the commoners to their seats, in accordance with the situation of the districts which they represented. As the Duc d'Orleans appeared in the midst of other deputies of Crispy, there arose from the amphitheatre, where the spectators sat, a gentle sound of applause, which increased in volume and was repeated by some of the commoners, when it was noticed that the duke made a clergyman, who had gone behind him in the delegation from this district, go in front of him, and did not desist till the rounded-bellied priest had really taken his place before him. In the meantime, the bench of the ministers had begun to fill. They appeared as a body, clothed in rich uniforms, heavy with gold. Only one single man among them appeared in simple citizen's clothing, 
and bearing himself as naturally as if he were engaged in business of the state or an ordinary parlor conversation and by no means as if taking part in an extraordinary solemnity as soon as he was seen there arose on all sides as much in the assembly as on the tribune a movement as of joy which culminated in a general clapping of hands the man who received this salutation was the newly appointed minister of finance necker to whom the nation was looking for a re-establishment of its prosperity and of its credit necker manifested only by a thoughtful smile which mounted to his earnest thought-furrowed face that he was conscious to whom the garland of supreme popularity was extended at this moment next the deputation of provence appeared in the midst of which towered count mirbeau with his proud erect bearing advancing to take the place appointed for him his appearance was the sign for a few hands to commence clapping in a distant part of the hall in honor of a man so much talked of in france and of whom such strange things were said but at this instant the king appeared accompanied by the queen followed by the princes and princesses of the royal family at the entrance of the king the whole assembly broke into a loud enthusiastic shout of applause and of joy the third estate as well at a signal from count moreau had quickly risen but continued to stand without bending the knee as had been at the last time when all the estate were assembled the invariable rule only one of the representatives of the third estate a young man with energetic proud face and dark glowing eyes bent his knee when he saw the queen entering behind the king but the powerful hand of his neighbor was laid upon his shoulder and drew him up quickly mr deputy whispered this neighbor to him it becomes the representatives of the nation to stand erect before the crown it is true count moreau answered toulon i did not bend my knee to the crown but to the queen as a beautiful woman mirbeau made no reply but turned his flaming eyes to the king louis sixteenth appeared that day arrayed in the great royal ermine and wore upon his head a plumed hat whose band glistened with great diamonds while the largest in the royal possession the so-called teat formed the centre and threw its rays far and wide the king appeared at the onset to be deeply moved at the reception which had been given him a smile indicating that his feelings were touched played upon his face but afterward when all was still and the king saw the grave manly marked faces of the commoners opposite him his manner became confused and for an instant he seemed to tremble the queen however looked around her with a calm and self-possessed survey her fine eyes swept slowly and searchingly over the rows of grave men who sat opposite the royal couple and dwelt a moment on toulon as if she recalled in him the young man who two years before had brought the message of cardinal rohan's acquittal a painful smile shot for an instant over her fine features yes she had recognized him the young man who at madame de champagne's room had sworn a vow of eternal fidelity to her and now he sat opposite her on the benches of the commoners among her enemies who gazed at her with angry looks that was his way of fulfilling the vow which he had made of his own free will but marie antoinette wondered at nothing now she had witnessed the falling away of so many friends she had been forsaken by so many who were closely associated with her and who were indebted to her that it caused her no surprise that the young man who hardly knew her who had admired her in a fit of youthful rapture 
had done like all the rest in joining the number of her enemies. Marie Antoinette sadly let her eyes fall. She could look at nothing more. She had in this solemn moment received a new wound, seen a new deserter. Toulon read her thoughts in a sad mien on her throbbing forehead, but his own countenance remained cheerful and bright. She will live to see the day when she will confess that I am her friend, am true to her, he said to himself and on that day I shall be repaid for the dagger thrust which I have just received from her eyes. Courage, Toulon, courage! Hold up your head and be strong. The contest has begun. You must fight it through or die. But the queen did not raise her head again. She looked unspeakably sad in her simple, unadorned attire, in her modest, gentle bearing, and it was most touching to see the pale, fair features which sought in vain to disclose nothing of the painful emotions of her soul. The king now arose from his throne and removed his plumed hat. At once Marie Antoinette rose from her armchair, in order to listen, standing, to the address of the king. Madame, said the king, bowing to her lightly, Madame, be seated, I beg of you. Sire, answered Marie Antoinette calmly, allow me to stand for it does not become a subject to sit while the king is standing a murmur ran through the rows of men and loud scornful laughter from one side marie antoinette shrank back as if an adder had wounded her and with a flash of wrath her eyes darted in the direction whence the laugh had come it was from philippe d'orleans he did not take the trouble to smooth down his features he looked with searching defiant gaze over to the queen proclaiming to her in this glance that he was her death-foe that he was bent on revenge for the scorn which she had poured out on the spendthrift revenge for the joke which she had once made at his expense before the whole court it was at the time when duke d'orleans spendthrift and miser at the same time had rented the lower rooms of his palace to be used as stores on his next appearance at versailles marie antoinette said since you have become a shopkeeper we shall probably see you at versailles only on sundays and holidays when your stores are closed philippe d'orleans thought of this at this moment as he stared at the queen with his laughing face while his looks were threatening vengeance and requital the king now began the speech with which he proposed to open the assembly of his estates the queen listened with deep emotion a feeling of unspeakable sorrow filled her soul and despite all her efforts her eyes filled with tears which leisurely coursed down her cheeks when at the close of his address the king said that he was the truest and most faithful friend of the people and that france had his whole love the queen looked up with a gentle beseeching expression and her eyes seemed as if they wanted to say to the deputies i too am a friend of the people i too love france the king ended his address. It was followed by a prolonged and lively clapping of hands, and sitting down upon the chair of the throne. He covered his head with a jeweled chapeau. At the same moment all the noblemen who were in the hall put on their own hats. At once, Count Mirbeau, the representative of the third estate, put on his hat. Other deputies followed his example, but Toulon, whom Mirbeau had before hindered from kneeling, Toulon now wanted to prevent the proud Democrats covering themselves in the presence of the Queen. "'Hats off!' he cried with a loud voice, and here and there in the hall the same cry was repeated. But from other sides there arose a different cry. "'Hats on! Be covered!' 
scarcely had the ear of the king caught the discordant cry which rang up and down the hall when he snatched his hat from his head and at once the whole assembly followed his example toulon had gained his point the assembly remained uncovered in the presence of the queen at last after four long painful hours the ceremony was ended the queen followed the example of the king rising greeting the deputies with a gentle inclination of her head and leaving the hall at the sight of the king some of the deputies cried long live the king but their words died away without finding any echo not a single voice was raised in honor of the queen but outside on the square there were confused shouts the crowd of people pressed hard up to the door and called for the queen they had seen the deputies as they entered the hall they had seen the king as he had attended divine service at the church of st louis now the people were curious to see the queen a joyful look passed over the face of the queen as she heard those cries for a long time she had not heard such acclaims since the unfortunate seventeen eighty six since the necklace trial they had become more rare at last they had ceased altogether and at times the queen when she appeared in public was hailed with loud hisses and angry murmurs the queen the queen sounded louder and louder in the great square marie antoinette obeyed the cry entered the great hall had the doors open which led to the balcony went out and showed herself to the people and greeted them with friendly smiles but instead of the shouts of applause which she had expected the crowd relapsed at once into a gloomy silence not a hand was raised to greet her not a mouth was opened to cry long live the queen soon however there was heard a harsh woman's voice shouting long live the duc d'orleans long life to the friend of the people the queen pale and trembling reeled back from the balcony and sank almost in a swoon into the arms of the duchess de polignac who was behind her her eyes were closed and a convulsive spasm shook her breast through the open doors of the balcony the shouts of the people could be heard all the time long live the duc d'orleans the queen still in her swoon was carried into her apartments and laid upon her bed only madame de champon remained in front of it to watch the queen who it was supposed had fallen asleep a deep silence prevailed in the room and the stillness awoke marie antoinette from her half insensibility she opened her eyes and seeing champon kneeling before her bed she threw her arms around the faithful friend and with gasping breath bowed her head upon her shoulder oh champon she cried with a loud choking voice ruin is upon me i am undone all my happiness is over and soon my life will be too i have to-day tasted of the bitterness of death we shall never be happy more for destruction hangs over us and our death sentence is pronounced end of chapter nine recording by maggie travers in casilla mississippi